those still, I'll say it one more time. Good morning. Welcome to worship here. It is Sunday, August the 1st. We are officially in August. Wow. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. Uh, the big reminder, of course, is that back-to-school blast happens today here at the church at 4 o'clock today, though I know many of you will be hanging around afterwards to help get that ready. Thank you to the mission team, their mission commission, and, sorry, it's the witness commission, that's why I'm getting it off. <laughs> the Witness Commission, and all those who have assisted and will be assisting them today and yesterday and the many days and weeks and months beforehand. Um, a reminder that the uh, next big event, of course, is District Conference here at the church on the 13th. That is not this coming Saturday, but the following one. And we continue to need people to help with uh, working around the church, with the meals, with helping people find their way. That's always needed and greatly appreciated. Uh, sorry. Uh, picnic and ice cream social will be happening on September the 12th, and that's our third major event on this list before we forget. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that as well, as anyone who knows me knows I have an ice cream problem. It's too good. There is softball today as well at 2 o'clock. Um, who are we playing today? Um, Cornerstone. Cornerstone. All right. Also the tournament and Whew, it's a big day all around. There's a lot going on in our community in August. <laughs> Are there any other announcements you wish to raise today? As we move into our time for prayer, I would like to first raise um, the people who live at Stowe Glen, including our sisters Anne and Sandra, who are currently living there. As you may have heard, Stowe Glen is closing, and it has also recently come out that they are giving the residents about two weeks to find a new place to go. So I have, I've not been able to get a hold of either of our sisters yet, uh, but keep them in your prayers as they go through this time when they are trying to figure out new situations for lots of people. Uh, many of them older folks in our community, but there's also a number of people who live there who are younger and have things that keep them from being able to operate as independently in society. And so they too are losing a place that allowed them to live in a semi-free way. What else would you like to raise with the community today? Oh, good. So Sister Sandra is, has been moved. She's now in, in Ravenna. I'm glad you said that, because I would have said Ravenna. But then you all would have looked at me. Do you know the, the name of the? I don't know. Um, I told you that I couldn't go to the camper. OK. I was just 
if you get the new address, that would be wonderful, and we'll put that out on the prayer chain. Um, so if those who would like to wish send cards or make calls, please do. And I, I reached out to Ron. I haven't heard back from him. If he gets back and says where Ann is going, we'll also put that out. I'm so sorry to hear. Prayers for the Martin family. We had been praying for Tracy, a, a friend and, and colleague of... Uh, Renee, thank you. Um, who had been fighting battling cancer. Um, she passed away last night and leaves behind young children and a family, not to mention a large number of friends who greatly will miss her presence. Could I have her first name? Blair. Blair. Hold Nanette's daughter Blair in our prayers as, as she's dealing with family and and other issues, and health issues. And health issues. Is it Branson? Branson. Prayers for the Franson family for for Jake, who is is battling with a, a brain tumor. For their young family, for a three year old who's probably struggling to understand what's going on. Prayers for Gail as, as she now navigates dealing with car insurance and car body shops and all that. We're so glad you're okay and that sugar's okay as well. I'm so sorry to hear. Um, prayers for, for a friend who is, is, has a year left after I imagine a great deal of struggle and worrying and whatnot, and for the family as they, they come to terms with that and, and find ways to make the most of this time they have together. If you'll join me as we enter into this time of worship, listening to our sister play, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah.
you will join me in the call to worship. God who takes nothing and creates new things from it. We gather to worship you. Take our hearts and transform them. Create new and wondrous things from us. Your abundance overflows. It feeds those who are hungry in body and spirit. Open us like picnic baskets. That your bounty in our lives overflows into this As we gather here to worship, let us be refreshed and refilled. Let us be your hands. As you formed us. If you'll pray with me. God of bounty, we come into this space today to worship your name to be refilled by you, to thank you for all those things you have given to us. We pray that as we gather in this space, that we hear where you call us next, to be cups that overflow, that water the world around us, that share your joy, your love, your bounty with those. God, Come into this space this morning and fill us up. Amen. You'll join in our first hymn, number 366, God of Grace, God of Glory.
Please pray with me. Holy Creator, we come to you in this space at this time bearing those things that come from our lives, bearing prayers on our lips for friends and family, for those we know and those we don't, lifting these things up to you for answers, for strength, for comfort, for security. God, this day we lift up our brothers and sisters who live in Stowe Glen as they struggle to find new places to live, as they struggle to find security when things are unsure. We lift up especially our sisters Sandra and Anne as they go looking or have found new places and are looking for comfort in this new space. Lord, we lift up the Martin family as they struggle to come to terms with the loss of a wife, a daughter, a mother, as the community mourns someone who meant so much to them. We pray for comfort. We pray for strong arms that hold people up when they feel too weak. We lift up Blair. We lift up Blair so she has clear vision as she deals with struggles in health and family. We pray for healing. We pray for security. We lift up the Franson family as they prepare to, to deal with the cancer that's hard. For a husband and wife who struggle to come to terms with what the future may hold. For a little girl who's not quite understanding what's happening around her. We lift up the friends of Dustin as they try to figure out what the next year means, as they prepare to try and make the most of what time they have left together.
And God, we do give thanks for the many positive things that have happened in our lives. For our sister Gail, who despite needing to go through more work, we are so happy she is okay. For this community who has gathered together to worship, who has gathered together to support those around them, to give joy to this world. God, watch over us today as we do this work together, as we celebrate your bounty, as we celebrate the beginning of a new year for the children of our family. We give you thanks, God, for all those things that you have blessed on us in this world. Praise So our reading today comes from John, chapter 6, 1 through 14. If you're reading in your hymnal, I mean your hymnal, your pew Bible, uh, you will find this uh, starting on page 754. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. When Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples, sorry, <laughs> the Jewish Passover feast was near. Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, what shall we do? Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not be enough, enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy, he said, with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among this many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There, are, there was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had had an, all enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw this miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Go ahead and do the 15. 
Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Blessed is the word. Amen. A reminder, this is our first Sunday of the month. I think next week we will start doing Magic Penny again next month. But for today, I will remind you that the Magic Penny jar is in the back. I invite the children to come forward for a story. We got children again this week. You look so bored, don't you? Hey guys, welcome back. All right, so I got a story for you guys. You probably heard this story before. Okay? You know what? I might stand over here. That way I can talk to you guys this way. You guys can move in if you want. Okay, you can move down too. Grace, sit here. Grace, Grace, sit. Good job. Okay, so there were three guys who, this is back in the old days, in the Middle Ages. And so they were soldiers, but they had been let go. They didn't have anywhere to go anymore. They didn't have any food or anything. So they started walking. They were getting hungry. At last, they came to a little village, and they said, you know, oh, here's a place where we sleep tonight, and we can eat. And so they went in, and they said, look, we have no money, but we're happy to do work. We're happy to do whatever. Can, can you feed us? And they went to the baker, and the baker, of course, has what kind of food? What kind of food does a baker have, huh? Bread. bread. Okay, he's got bread. Do you got to eat bread? Baker said, nope, 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 don't have any bread. Okay. So they go down to the butcher. Do you have any? What do butchers have? Meat. Nope, nope, don't have any meat. Okay. So they go and they, they go to the grocer. Do you have any, what does a grocer have? Vegetables. There we go. Do you have any vegetables? Nope, nope, no vegetables. Well, these poor guys, they don't know what they're going to do. So they, they think, they think, you know what? We'll get, make ourselves some food. And so they go to the town's mayor and they say, you know, look, we, we've gone around and no one will offer us any food. No one will let us work for any food. So here's what we want to do. We're going to make ourselves some stone soup. You're going to make yourself what? We're going to make some stone soup. Okay, I, I guess. But we just need to borrow a pot. Can you let us borrow a pot? So the mayor gives them a pot. And they go out and they, they build a big fire in the town circle and they put the pot on there and they fill it up with water. And then they go and they clean, I'm assuming they cleaned, three big rocks. And they set it down in the water and waited for the water to start to boil. Now this sounds really weird, right? Can you guys eat rocks? Should you guys eat rocks? No. Yeah, especially, especially if you have your adult teeth in. That would be, because, yeah, you'd be stuck with the broken teeth for the rest of your life. Don't do that. Don't eat rocks. Of course, everybody knows that, right? You don't eat rocks. The closest thing you can have is salt. Well, the townspeople kind of come out because they think this is really weird. And so one of the, the old soldiers goes up and he takes a spoonful. It's okay, but it's missing something. It could really do with some onion or something. 
Now, the green grocer was thinking, this is really weird. But you know what? I want to try this soup. I want to see what stone tastes like. So he's like, you know what? I have some vegetables. Let me go get them. And so he goes to the store, and he gets some onions and some potatoes and some carrots and some rutabagas, because rutabagas are great in soup. And he brings them over, and the, the soldiers cut them up, and they throw them in the soup. They let it stew a little bit, and then they try a little. Hmm. It's better. It's still missing something. It's missing watermelon. It's missing watermelon? I'm not sure you want to put watermelon in a soup. <laughs> yeah. But watermelon goes great on the side. It could use... It could use a little fat, a little protein, you know, to really make it rich tasting. And the butcher's like, well, you know what? I've got some bacon laying around. Why don't I go get that? And he goes and he gets some bacon and he gets some chicken and some other meat. They bring that over and they chop it up. And apparently one of the soldiers knew what he was doing and he cooked it in a skillet first, get some flavor out, and then he threw it in. He let it cook for a while and taste it. This is getting good. But you know what? It's missing something. I mean, it's good soup, but it needs more. And the baker goes, oh, I've got some bread. Why don't I go grab the bread? And so he grabs the bread, and he brings it over, and they chop that up, and they sit it out, and then it's time. The soup is done. And they go around, and they decide, you know what? You've all shared with us, so we're going to share with you. And they put out the spoonfuls, and they give everybody, you know, here's your soup and some bread and soup and bread and soup and bread and soup and bread and soup. And for you two, watermelon. You want some watermelon, too? Here you go. You're welcome. Okay. And so they eat all together. Okay, I've got some watermelon for you. Here, watermelon for everyone. There we go. <laughs> just, just in case. Now, it had gone from this town who wouldn't share, who probably didn't share with each other very much, but now they were having a meal as one big community. And that's really cool. Because do you guys, when you guys get together with family ever, say Thanksgiving or Christmas, what do you guys do together usually? You eat together. Eating together is so awesome. I love eating together, especially if I don't have to cook everything myself. <laughs> and people bring lots of different dishes. That's why I love potlucks. You know, when like everyone brings a dish and we all eat a little bit of everything downstairs, I eat way too much, inevitably. But it's good to taste what everyone brings to the table. Now, Jesus knows this, of course. And that's one of the things that makes this miracle so cool is all these people, these 5,000, they say 5,000 men. We have no idea how many women and children came. So we, there may have been like 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 people there. They're all sitting around on the grass, and they're sharing this meal together. And it takes this group of people who have no idea who each other are, and it makes them a community by sharing something together. And so that's what I want you guys to think about as you're going through this week. You know, what do you have that you can share? And how does that make you all family in a way? So we're going to talk more about that in the sermon. So can you guys pray with me? I won't make you. Yes, yes, I know. Gracie, can you pray? Thank you. Holy creator, 
who gives us everything. Help us to share those things that you have given to us with those around us. To be willing to take nothing but water and stones and to make it into a delicious meal in which everyone can be together around. Amen. Yay, we did it. You did. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. <laughs> Priorities. Man, it's my sermon time already. It was a really hot day. I mean, when you live in the Fertile Crescent, you know, that's the day where we think of modern Israel and Syria and all those, Jordan. You know, a hot day is a hot day. And so the old man was just resting in the entryway of his tent, which he had pitched beneath the arching branches of the old oak, just to keep the temperature down a little bit extra. And it's fair to call him an old man. After all, he was over a hundred. He had been walking these lands now for 25 years, battling the elements, sometimes battling people, and battling predators, looking for green pastures, for safe harbors for his family, for those who followed him, and for his flocks. He had been making friends and even a few enemies along the way, but he had managed to get as far as he was by surviving on his wits, which often got him into trouble, and so when his wits failed him, he always had the God who had led him here to bail him out. But today, it was just hot, and all he wanted to do was sit in the shade and wait for the sun to go down a little bit and for it to cool off some. But it was not to be, because he looked up out of the entryway and he saw in the distance three men walking. That's weird. I mean, this is a time when this area was really sparsely populated. You just didn't see people out and about. And the old man remembered the things that he had learned so many years ago, sitting at his father's feet. It was important to be hospitable. I mean, hospitality wasn't just simply something you did. It was a sacred duty. It was an honor. In a world that was hard and as tough as it was to live in, hospitality helped you make friends, it also helped you show just how God had blessed you. It was paying it forward to those you encountered. So the old man leapt up, and he ran over as fast as his centenarian legs would carry him, and he went to those men and said, Please, come, come eat with me. The three men agreed. And they followed him back where he made them comfortable in the entryway. He washed their feet, and then he went to his wife. 
He goes in and goes, Sarai. And she looks at him. You know, that slightly annoyed look. I'm sorry. Sarah. It's only been a year. Give me a break. I'm still getting used to this. She gave him a break because after all, for the last 90-some years, she had called him Abram, and she still forgot to call him Abraham. Sarai. Sarah. Anyway, we have guests. I need you to make some bread, please, um, with our best flour. And then he ran out into the fields, and he found a choice young calf and brought it to the servants so they could prepare it. And when the bread and the calf were all ready, he himself, 100-year-old man, brought the food and served it to the three strangers. We all know this story. It's an old one. We all know how he is visited by these three strangers who end up being either altogether God or God and two angels. It's unclear because God talks to God's self in the passage. And God tells Abraham that the son that he was promised is coming shortly. And then goes on to say that God is going to Sodom and is going to destroy the cities on the plain, which was a series of four cities. Five, but one wasn't destroyed. And of course, Abraham argues with him, God, please don't do that. Think of all those people who live there who are righteous. And God says, okay, I won't do that. But God goes on, and then as we jump into the next chapter, two angels appear at Sodom. And instead of being welcomed and helped as these ancient rules of hospitality dictated, they instead try to harm the men. And so God wipes the cities out. This is the first time that God ever appears in a physical body in the Bible. It happens three times. This time, the next time he'll appear will be um, with his grandson, with Jacob, as he's wrestling God beside the river and is blessed and renamed Israel. And of course, we all know the third time, Jesus. This is also only the second time in which God directly does mass destruction. The first time, the great flood, and then the destruction of the, three, of the four cities. We won't see destruction on this kind of level again until we reach Daniel, and Daniel is foreseeing the, the eschaton, the end times. I know some of you might be thinking there's lots of destruction in the Old Testament. I mean, that's what the Old Testament mostly is at points. Yes, but God is usually assisting humans in some other kind of thing, or it's a small thing. So, like, a small thing would be uh, Korah and the rebels who rebel against Moses. That's a small thing because God just opens up the earth and closes it behind again. That's a small one. Or, I know, opening up the earth, it's a small one compared to a great flood. Give me a break. <laughs> the other one would be things like Jericho, which God makes the towers, the walls crumple down, but the ones who actually take the city are the are the soldiers, are the Israelites. 
So this is only one of three times in which God directly has some kind of mass destruction attributed to God. And that's it. God doesn't appear in the flesh again until Jesus. God doesn't commit to any kind of mass destruction until we read the stories in Revelation or Daniel. They just don't exist elsewhere. So why is it that these two rare events, why are they stuck right next to each other? Not even just stuck right next to each other, but with God's conversation with Abraham, they are intertwined. They are connected directly to each other. Now, Abraham was not the most faithful follower. I take that back. Abraham was an impatient, though a faithful follower. That's probably a better way to put it. He's promised that he will go to this land, that it will be given to his, a nation that descends from him. And of course, he has no children. So Abraham tries to fulfill the promise himself again and again. So he tries to name someone his heir. God says no. He tries to have children with someone other than Sarah. God says no. Here we have God coming in and saying, look, I made a covenant with you. You have to be faithful to me, and I will give you what I told you I would give you. I will give you this nation. It will come from you. Abraham just needs to stop worrying. It's a reminder to us that all of God's gifts, all of the gifts that we have in this world, come from God, the big to the small. They're all gifts from beyond, from the divine one. And it's also, then connecting it into the next story, is a reminder that those gifts are meant to also be spread out to pass out to brothers and sisters, to show some of our thanks to God for giving us what we have. And when people choose to withhold, to strike out instead of to sup, to harass instead of to house, at least in Genesis, God will step in and fix the problem God's self. I got to admit, at times, I wish we were living in the world of Genesis. Not completely. The world of Genesis is scary as all get out. I mean, I am fine not having, you know, great floods, giants, talking snakes. Yeah, just remember that next time you see a snake. It could be worse. It could talk to you. If the snake talks to you, please let someone else know that you're hearing snakes talk. Anyway. Sometimes, though, I still wish for it. Because God in Genesis steps in and fixes things when there's a problem. And I don't know about you, but I get really tired about seeing people take the gifts that God has given them and use it for selfish purposes instead of helping their neighbors. I get really tired of watching people look down and trample on others so they can maintain their power or their imaginary sense of superiority. Sometimes I wish God, just like in Genesis, would step into this world and fix things 
Maybe not fire and brimstone. Again, I'm okay with not exactly Genesis. But it's tiring watching it go over and over and over again. But God doesn't. Because this is not the end times, at least yet. And as seeing as I'm still talking to you, well, at least none of us have been raptured. So, sorry. <laughs> so, it's not quite the end times yet. So, it leaves me to ask, when did this change happen? Where did we go from being the God in Genesis that steps in and fixes things to this world in which the massively wealthy use their wealth in ways that just seem so opposed to what God has asked us of. So I look back and I look at the transformation through the Hebrew Bible. So we start in the beginning, when God talks to people a lot. And we see a transformation. God talks to people as he's raising them up to do work, to become a nation, to become kings, to become judges, to become great prophets and leaders. And as it continues, God starts talking less to them. And you know, David at the beginning is a really great guy. But somewhere along the lines, David stops talking to God as much, and he starts to fall farther and farther and farther away. And then as we enter the later kings, at that point, God's never talking to the kings. God talks to the prophets who work with the kings, who are in the court. And then slowly those prophets are separated farther and farther and farther away. Until at last you end with the minor prophets who are standing outside the gates of the city, shouting at the top of their lungs. There's a slow degree of separation in which God talks less and less to those in authority. Now, to be fair, God could have been talking the entire time to everyone else below. I have no idea. That's not what the writers recorded, though. So it could have happened. It might not have. I have no idea. But by the time we hit the New Testament and Jesus appears... Jesus completely ignores those in charge, other than to yell at them. He's very much a minor prophet like that, except, you know, he's a major prophet. Also not a, anyway, we're not getting into that. So, but God, I mean, Jesus kind of ignores them. Those in power, those leaders, those who have everything become examples of what a fallen human looks like and how far humanity has fallen from God's call. The only other time they are ever used in the New Testament is that they are antagonists, those who are opposed to Jesus, to the apostles. But the ones Jesus talks to are the everyday Jacks and Jills, those who, frankly, we don't know most of their names, you know, they, they tell us that there were 5,000 men gathered around Jesus. Again, that's just the men count. We know there's women and children there, too. We don't know any of their names. Not a single one. Because we're not counting the disciples within this. 
We don't know any of their names because they were just never important enough for anyone. And even the few names that have been passed down to us were passed down, not because there was some scribe in some court or some historian somewhere writing these things down. It was those other Christians who were lifting people up as examples. Everyday Jacks and Jills. That's who Jesus came to. Not to the rich, not to the powerful, came to the everyday Joe Schmo. That's a big transformation, and that's a big change. But yet, Jesus remains on this same point about knowing that we get all things from God, that we get our daily bread, our home, our work, our energy, everything comes by the blessing of God. And thereby, everything is God's and that it is to be shared, to be given, to be celebrated. You know, there, there's a theologian, and I will preface this several times as I talk about him, that I do not generally agree with him. Just starting that out. His name is Heinrich Paulus. Now, Heinrich Paulus lived in the mid-17 to the mid-1800s. Don't remember the exact years, but that's when he lived. Most of his work was in the early 1800s. He was a biblical scholar and a theologian and what was then termed as a rationalist. He believed in God, but he did not believe in miracles because he had no rational reason to believe in miracles. And so he would come up with natural reasons why all the miracles that happen in the Bible happen. This was a pretty common thought process during that time. This is not unusual. I mean, just look at Thomas Jefferson. The man cut up a Bible so he could take out all the sayings and everything that was non-supernatural and paste them into another book. And that's where we get the Jefferson Bible. It was not an uncommon idea at the time. But anyway, as I said, and I'll say again, I'm generally not a fan of Paulus's work. I think he takes it too far. But I did find his theory about today's passage especially intriguing. His thought was that when the 5,000 people were sitting about on the grass, they saw this poor itinerant preacher pick up a basket with very little food and try to offer it to them to do what little he could. And so the response of the people was to open up their own baskets and to share among themselves so that those who had no food were given food by those who did have it, that they were offering hospitality to one another. Now, I think there was a miracle that happened there. I think there was something beyond explanation that happened. But I am willing to agree with, as far as Paulus, that that might have also happened. That, you know, Jack over here opened up his basket and shared some cheese. And Joe over there opened up his basket and shared some, I guess it would have to be beef salami since they were Jewish. No BLTs for anyone. Maybe a little bacon, lettuce, and mutton. No, no, we're not getting into Princess Bride jokes. Anyway, I'm willing to go that far. Because, at least to me, 
What is the correct response to seeing generosity by someone? What is the correct response to encountering God's grace? It's to reciprocate. It's to spread it out, to give it to others. So much of Jesus' ministry, especially when the earlier parts, when he's still traveling around before he gets to Jerusalem, is about how we live in this world and the correct response to God's forgiveness, to the correct response to entering the kingdom. It's like Robert Louis Stevenson said, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. What happens when we are filled with God's love? What happens when we encounter God's love? Faith and action go in hand. You know, Jesus returns to this idea as he's ending his ministry, according to the book of Matthew. Matthew 25, 31 through the end, I think. It's one of my favorite passages, which is often why I come back to it, though it's also one of the scariest passages. You all probably know this. Jesus is talking about what will happen when the end of days come, that people will be separated into sheep and goats. Nothing against goats. It's an allegory. Goats are fine. Sheep can be jerks sometimes, too. Anyway. And he goes to the sheep and said, you fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me while I was in prison. You healed me when I was sick. And they said, Lord, when did we do that? When you did it to anyone. And he went to the goats and said, you didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You didn't heal me. When did, you do, when did we not do that, God, Lord? When you didn't do that to anyone who needed it. That brings us back to what is tied in together with Moses's, I mean, sorry, with Abraham's story. It's not just whether you, the correct response to receiving God's gifts is to give them out. Now, I don't think God's going to rain fire and brimstone any day soon. That's just my personal belief, but who knows? But instead, I would like to point out that Jesus lays out that same expectation that God laid out all the way back in Genesis. That the correct response to giving or receiving from God is to, is to give out freely too. And I know I'm preaching to the choir today. I know not all of you are in the choir. You know what I mean. I know I'm preaching to the choir you know, this is a sermon where it could be one of those kind of hard sermons to try and make everyone think, but I don't have to do that with y'all. This is a happy sermon. Because we are getting here ready to celebrate the beginning of a new school year. To share with children the bounty that we have in our own lives. And I thank you so much for that. For not just coming here on Sundays and listening to me, which I thank you for that because that's why I get to be here every Sunday to talk, but also that you reciprocate the grace that God has given you to share out with those around you. You know, Jesus 
broke that bread. He divided that fish and was able to feed 5,000. And some of those 5,000 came back to hear him again and again. Some of those 5,000 may have been those who went on to follow him. You know, we are told when Jesus was gone and, the, and his followers gathered that it wasn't just the 12 on Pentecost. It was 50 or some other number. I can't remember. There's a bunch of them. They're all gathered together. Some of those may have been there. They may have received that first generous gift of God. And now they received another, and they end up becoming the backbone of the church that go on to express the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God to all those in the world. I thank you for hearing that call, for reciprocating that love, that grace, that joy in your gifts. Every sermon, though, has to end with a challenge. You're already on the path. Don't worry about it. My only challenge is to keep finding ways to do that. In the little things you do every single day and in the big actions that we do a couple times a year. Be like an old man who sat underneath an oak tree who probably, let's face it, I can't think of a single 100-year-old, I know one 100-year-old man who still runs up Mount Washington every year. He's pretty freaking amazing. Just pretty freaking amazing. I love Joe. Anyway, we can't all be like that. <laughs> but try your best to jump up, to go greet, and say, come join me for this meal. Let me show you all of the love and grace and bounty that God has given to me in my life. Thank you.
If you will join me in standing for a, a, a prayer over today and the blessing of the bags. I know we only have three of them up here, but there's a lot of bags downstairs. Keep most of them down there. If you'll join me. Holy Creator, who has given us so much in our lives, we pray that you support us today as we reach out to our brothers and sisters in this community, to the children who are ready to go to elementary at Spring Hill this year. We pray that they come today and they have fun, that they are brought a little closer to you and they feel a little more secure going into this year. We do pray that if it's going to storm, God, it comes through before four. If not, we'll make it work because we are just so happy to do this. We lift all things up to you and thank you for all the blessings. Amen. To join in our final hymn, number 401, I think you'll probably remember this one, This Little Light of Mine. <laughs> tune to the one I know. <laughs> May you go out today feeling the many blessings that God has lived into your life. May you go out today sharing those blessings with everyone you meet. Be blessed and amen.